Good morning. My name is Tori Gerthy. I'm a member here at Redeemer Odessa. I'm a part of the Prado Community Group. Um, and today we're going to be reading Mark 13, 14 through 27. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. But in those days there will be such a tribulation that has not been from the beginning of the creation of God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, look, there he is, do not believe it, for the false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with a great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of, the, of heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Dr. T. Swift. She's got like four or five different nicknames. That one comes naturally and most often, I think. So, uh, Hey, good morning. Uh, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest, thank you for being with us. There is a connect card under your chair. If you would take a minute, fill that out, return it to us at the end of the service, we would love an opportunity to connect with you, to see how we could serve you, to see how we could get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand. We're in the ESV. If Trenton will bring you one. If you need one, you can raise your hand. And if you don't have a Bible, that Bible that he gives you is yours to keep. So um, again, if you're on your phone or tablet or something like that, I use the ESV here. So growing up, um, I was what you would call an okay athlete. Uh, I had an early start to my physical growth so what you're looking at here, I've been this tall since I was 12 years old. Have not grown one fraction of an inch. That is a true story. So in junior high football, I was a problem. In Little League, problem. But then in about 10th grade, everybody started to catch up with me in size and strength and physical maturity. So I remained what you would call an okay athlete. Uh, I was a junior varsity athlete for most of my high school. In fact, my only varsity letter was in girls' varsity volleyball. I was an equipment manager. Uh, they give out letters for that. So, uh, but, but the lack of like athletic prowess in high school did not stop me from living out my dreams. I went to college on a D1 football scholarship. Also, as an equipment manager, they give out scholarships for that, too. Man, you can laugh, but I maintain that Texas Tech does not go 8-5 and five in 2006 without me washing their towels after practice. So, But every week, it was kind of the same thing for this football team. They'd go through this whole process leading up to the game, along with, you know, just 
practicing, they would watch a lot of film. They'd watch themselves and try to fix their mistakes from the the game the week before. Then they'd watch themselves at practice. They'd have a film crew that would film practice. And so they'd be watching themselves to see where they could improve their technique. But then they'd also watch the film of the games from the teams that they they were playing next. They'd try to figure out their next opponent, try to figure out their tendencies, figure out which, which guy on their team needed a double team or they needed to pay special attention to. And they were trying to figure out weaknesses that they could exploit to win the next game. Then the coaches would get together with some other analytics-type guys, and they would write up a scouting report for the players on the team to read, and then they'd go out and prepare. So this section of Mark is, is kind of serving as Jesus' scouting report to his team, his disciples, uh, and ultimately to his bride, the church. Uh, we saw in last week's text that Jesus is starting to give us some imperatives and some commands. He says, see that no one leads you astray. And then he says, be on guard. Jesus is dissecting the enemy's game plan. Jesus warns the disciples at the temple the cultural hub of Judaism is about to be destroyed. And then natural disasters will start to take place. And then ultimately, widespread persecution of Christians will occur. So if you remember in last week's text, Jesus and his disciples are having this discussion. Jesus says, hey, this temple's about to be destroyed. So they go to Jesus and they say, hey, when are these, when are these things going to happen? So Jesus tells them, be ready for the signs that were just mentioned, you know, natural disasters, persecution, famine, earthquakes, things like that. And Jesus says, these are just the beginning. This is the beginning of the end times, the beginning of the birth pains. But those that persevere until the end will receive a glorious inheritance with God as God's chosen and beloved child. The destruction of the temple is not the end. Rather, it may in fact just be the beginning. And so in our text today, Jesus continues his, his discourse on the sign of the end times. This is a really interesting text, probably the hardest text in the whole uh, Gospel of Mark to understand. And so as Jesus is continuing his discussion, I just want to call us to consider a few things again today. Let's consider Jesus. And let's consider who he is to you. In Jesus' conversation with the disciples, Jesus is yet again showing himself to be God in flesh, the God-man. And with these predictions, he is calling their attention back to the fact that he is worthy to be trusted because he knows all, because he sees all, and in his sovereignty, and as he's revealing these things to his disciples and us, it shows that he cares for all that are in fact his. So do we trust Jesus the way he is inviting us to trust him? Do we really believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior? And if we say yes, are we willing to follow him to this extent? Through the pain, through the suffering that is predicted and promised by Jesus himself. Man, what I think we're about to experience culturally is that lukewarm Christianity is about to go away. Meaning this, you are going to have to make some decisions when these great persecutions come, whether or not you are serious about Jesus. 
Man, we can follow Christ in faith. We can follow Christ in submission. We can follow Christ in repentance of our failures because he has offered that to us. Or we can reject him. But you're not going to have the option to be culturally Christian. Meaning this, you're not going to have the option to claim to be a Christian when your life looks nothing like what the God of the Bible is calling to, calling you to. You're not going to have the option to claim to be a Christian and have no desire to be in fellowship or community with other believers. You're not going to have the option to claim to be a Christian and not caring one bit about your sin and how it separates you from God. You don't get to play churchy Bible Belt games when this great tribulation that Jesus speaks of starts to take place. You will have to make a choice. Am I going to stand for Jesus? Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to follow Jesus in faith and submission and repentance and obedience for the forgiveness of my sins? Am I going to follow Jesus this way or not? And your true self will be revealed. Your true beliefs about Jesus will be exposed on these days. Because as culture moves more and more progressively away from the scriptures and away from the God of the Bible, you will have to decide, am I willing to follow the example of Jesus to me and then endure on his behalf? And for wherever wherever you're at this morning, whatever your feelings are about Jesus this morning, whatever fears or doubts you may be having this morning, I just ask you to pray in these moments, in these next few moments, and tell those things to God. And see yourself this morning in light of his glorious grace to you this morning. Man, this discussion about the end times can create a lot of uh, uneasiness. It probably causes some fear, some anxiety in a lot of us. And so I want to be mindful of that. I just, I want to approach this text with a lot of hope. A lot of hope that Jesus does in fact follow through with what he says he's going to do. And so that should lead us to love and worship and devotion. And so let's pray this morning and then we're going to just hop into this text this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your watch care over us. Lord, thank you as the text says, you have shown us all these things beforehand. Lord, so help us to really count the cost this morning of whether we believe you're worthy to be trusted or not. And Lord, I know and believe that you are. And so show us, show us that. Reveal yourself to us this morning, Lord. Soften hearts, Lord. Soften hard, hard hearts this morning. Lord, stir our affections for you this morning. Church, I'd ask if you're willing that you'd pray for yourself. That the Lord would move in you love and affection for him because he is worthy of your love and affection. That the Lord would remove doubts and hindrances that you have in your mind and your heart about him. Lord, I confess my neediness to you this morning. Show us where we need you more. Lord, I love you. Lord, we love you. 
Help us to love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, it says this. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. So this is Jesus in a continuation from our text last week. He's talking with the disciples Peter, James, John, and Andrew. In our text last week, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. And for these men as Jews, this would signal the end of the world. It's the end of history when the temple gets destroyed. And that act would usher in the consummation of the kingdom of God. So these four men approach Jesus privately and ask, Hey, Jesus, when will these things happen? So Jesus responds not by telling them when, but by offering them some signs. And then he says, These signs, they're just the beginning of the birth pains. So be ready. In our text today, it looks like the birth pains are given away to like full-blown labor and delivery. And so Jesus is talking here about what is known in end times theology as the Great Tribulation. It's seen in the book of Revelation if you want to read for, your, for yourself. And for our purposes today, I'm not getting into like the varying different positions of when the tribulation occurs in relation to when Jesus returns. If you're interested in that, I have some great resources for you uh, on end times theology. But as I shared last week, I think that is a good and necessary discussion, but it also leads to a lot of division, and that's not the point of today. So uh, that's just a little aside. So as history is moving more and more towards this moment when Jesus is going to return, the signs will have likely increased in frequency and intensity. And then we have this figure, this guy that shows up on the scene. Jesus and Mark calls him the abomination of desolation, which sounds more like a punk rock song than a person's role in history. Legit, since Wednesday, I've been walking around being like, abomination of desolation, didn't it? Yeah, uh, that's for real, how my mind's been working all week. So here's what's taking place. Let me define a few terms. Abomination means something that is repulsive to God, and desolation means something that has been profaned, and therefore God and his people have abandoned it. In, in the case of our text today, that, that's the temple. And then Mark says, let the reader understand. And I'm like, I'm the reader. I don't understand. So here's what's happening. We're all on the same page here. Jesus, if you were here last week, predicted the destruction of the temple as a foreshadowing, as a typological prediction, as a sign of future events. Typology meaning like a sign in the Old Testament that finds its future fulfillment in Jesus. So last week I brought up Jonah, how he was swallowed by a great fish and was in the belly of this great fish for three days. And that is a symbol of Jesus' burial in the tomb and resurrection three days later. Signs like that. We have them in the Old Testament that point forward to Jesus. The prediction of the destruction of the temple is a, is a prophetic prediction with some future ramifications. And with that prediction, 
All the circumstances surrounding these events exist as a foreshadowing of future events yet to come. So during my seminary days, one of my Old Testament classes, a professor said that several prophecies in the Old Testament have an immediate fulfillment. And he doesn't define what, what he means by immediate, but like some of them have some geopolitical fulfillment in the days of the prophet or in the days immediately following the prophet. And then there is an impending future Christological fulfillment in Jesus. And this temple prophecy is not new with Jesus. When the text says, let the reader understand, remember the context of the book of Mark. It is written to Jewish people. He is calling the Jewish people to remember back to their old prophet Daniel. There are three specific prophecies in Daniel about this moment. So if you're taking notes, they are Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11. Daniel 11.31 says this, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And so in 167 B.C., about a century and a half before Jesus was born, there was this emperor, a foreign ruler, his name was Antiochus, who came to the temple, which for the Jews, again, is a house of worship. It is also considered the house of God. And this ruler, this foreign ruler, erected a statue to Zeus. And then he sacrificed pigs to the statue that he created on the altar. Uh, and sacrificing pigs for Jews is a giant no-no. And not only is he sacrificing unholy sacrifices, he's also sacrificing to another, what is considered another deity. So he's profaned the temple. And as the immediate fulfillment to Daniel's prophecies, this became the prototype for all future desecrations. Anybody see that movie, The Knight's Tale? When Heath Ledger rides his horse into like the Catholic Church and the priest yells, You desecrate the house of God! Uh, that's kind of what's taking place here in a less comedic way. Um, and we saw last week the Emperor Titus, he comes in 70 AD and destroys the temple. And here's Jesus with the all-seeing eyes of God pointing forward to the final moments in history when the Antichrist will seek to desecrate all that is sacred. So Jesus is offering these men a warning about how to function when they see this happening. And I'm going to be straight with you all. There's a lot of discussion and debate about these things. And like, are they really limited to the, are they limited to just the first century and the people of Jerusalem and Judea only, are they symbolic of something futuristic? And I'm not 100% certain that I'm correct here in where I land. But since this is not a salvation issue, I'm okay with not being 100% correct here. So I'm going to just share my opinion. As of this moment, I think that verse 14 through 18 are a prophetic picture of what's going to happen in 70 A.D., if you like theological words, this is called the preterist view. And again, I'm open-handed here. But Jesus warns his followers that when they see the Roman armies arriving around Jerusalem, those of you that are in Judea, don't run towards Jerusalem. 
Go and hide out in the mountains where you'll be safer. And if you're in Jerusalem, get out as fast as you can. Don't go get your coat. Don't go into your house for anything. Just get out. So when this moment happened, some people listened. Some people didn't. Imagine that. Many Jews rushed into the city, and there was a giant bloodbath. Josephus said that a million Jews were slaughtered in this ruckus. And according to some, Christ's followers, many of them, fled to the hills and settled in a place called Parampella, which will be important in a minute. Jesus also says this, Alas for pregnant and nursing women. I think this is important to take note of. Um, In a time where women were undervalued and underserved in society, here we see Jesus showing, showing care and empathy towards them. And I don't want to fly past that. This is very typical of Jesus, who has shown special care to widowed women. Multiple times in our journey through Mark, he has shown um, mercy to like a sick woman, uh, a woman at the temple, um, to women who are living in sin even, like the adulterous woman at the well. And even in his final moments, while Jesus is hanging on a cross, he expresses care and provision for his own mother. Man, Jesus cares. Jesus shows a level of compassion and empathy towards women during what promises to be a lot of political and social unrest. And man, as, as the pastor of this church, I just want us to model this level of care as we minister to people on the margins, as we minister to um, people on the fringes that society's kind of blown past. I want us to take notes of widows and orphans and single moms and homeless and the lonely and the isolated and people in need of help and people in need of grace and people in need of mercy and people who feel unworthy and people who just feel unlovable. That should cover us all, I think. May we take on the posture of Jesus to love and care and be empathetic. Jesus also tells his followers to pray. He says, pray that this won't happen in winter. Why is that? Well, uh, in this region, the escape routes would be like require you to run over the river or through the woods to your grandmother's house. You remember that song? You got to run through the creeks and the riverbeds, and during the summer, they're dried up. But during the winter, they're swollen and hard to navigate, and also pretty cold. So this seems like a really hard and dangerous place to be if you're in Jerusalem and trying to escape. So that ends what I believe to be the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy, and Jesus switches gears to to a futuristic view. Look Look at what he says next, verse 19. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Okay, so just for like textual, hermeneutical, interpretation type discussions. The reason I believe that the first half of this section is talking about the first century and the last half of this section is talking about future events is because of what Jesus says here about the tribulation. He says it's not been 
from the beginning of creation until now. So confidently, I can say that Scripture paints a picture that what will take place in the future is going to pale in comparison to anything that has ever taken place before. The sacking of Rome, while tragic. The Holocaust, while tragic. 9-11, while tragic, are going to be far less significant than this. With open hands, I'm going to say, the whole world will experience this to some degree. And that depends on your interpretation of these events and how these things will play out. But Jesus is talking about tribulation here. He's not talking about um, that which every single one of you experiences, every single true child of God experiences, every Christian experiences trials and tribulations in our lifetime. It's a part of being a follower of Jesus in a world that doesn't want you to follow Jesus. But Jesus is talking about the great tribulation, a period of great distress that will occur for a short time before his return. And what's more, God has intentionally in his sovereign rule and reign of all these events kept them short for the care and protection of the elect and those chosen before the foundation of the world for salvation in Christ. And there's this beautiful picture of God's elect gathered from every tribe, every nation, every tongue on the face of the earth. And they're coming before the throne of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 13 through 14 says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it's just a beautiful picture of God calling a people to himself. Mark 13, 21 through 23. And then if anyone says to you, look, here, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders and to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So this is Jesus adding yet another layer of protection for his people, highlighting another layer of the enemy's game plan. False Christ, false prophets are going to come and try to steer you away from following God and following the God of the Bible, the Savior of the universe. It would stand to reason that since, as Jesus pointed out in our text last week, no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. So Satan then is raising up false Christ or antichrist in every generation in order that he himself is prepared for this impending war that's ahead. His aim is to pull as many people away from Christ as possible. His aim is to lead as many people astray as possible. And if possible, even the elect. Yet Jesus in this statement again is demonstrating his watch care for his people. John 10, Jesus says, I give them life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The true elect followers of Jesus are impossible to lead astray. 
Our theological contention at this church is that if you are saved, truly regenerated, truly sealed with the promise and guaranteed Holy Spirit, you can never lose your salvation. Your salvation is secure in Christ by the cross and his resurrection. In those days, the enemy will seek to lead people astray, if possible, even Christians. Man, and if you're a true believer in Christ, you cannot and will not be led astray to follow after someone else, to follow after others claiming to be Christ. Take comfort in this. If you are in Christ, he knows you, he wants you, he calls you by name, and, and this is a very important and, and he has secured you for all eternity. Jesus says, be on your guard. These things will happen, just as I told you. And when these things have occurred, when, as we saw last week, the gospel has reached the nations, the ends of the earth, and when the time is right, when the tribulation has reached the point where God has had enough, look at what will happen. Verse 24, But in those days after the tribulation, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds of great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. After the birth pains, after the tribulation, the earth as we know it will be moving towards the end as we know it to be. The sun stops shining. Because of that, the moon is no longer giving its light as a reflection of the sun. And then the stars will start falling out of the sky. The heavens will shake because the Lord is rending the heavens and coming down, and they will behold Jesus. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of Jesus has been, has been veiled. But now, here is Jesus in power and glory for all to behold. Not just the disciples of Jesus, but the whole of humanity sees him coming down in power and glory. Dr. Brooks says it this way. It is significant that the term son of man is used here. The same one who humbly ministered on earth, the same one who suffered and died, will return with great power and glory. In the Old Testament, glory is a characteristic of God. Jesus' glorious return, then, is further indication of his deity. Here is Jesus, fulfilling the scriptures in totality by returning in power and glory. Jesus shows up in power because it is impossible to remove Jesus from his throne. He gets up and does it on his own accord and returns in glory, demonstrating the divine and godly attributes of power and wisdom and holiness and in love. And his power and glory is enhanced by what's taking place in verse 27. Jesus sends his angels to what the text says, the four winds, which means the ends of the earth. Remember earlier when I mentioned that place, Parenpella? The people of Jesus go to Parenpella. The church has been scattered. The church has been scattered to the ends of the earth. What we saw last week is that God is redeeming for himself a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue on the face of the earth. 
And the gospel at this time will have reached its fulfillment. It will have reached the ends of the earth. It has gone to every nation. It has found its fulfillment in Jesus. And from all corners of the globe, there will be followers of Jesus that will be collected and gathered to himself at the consummation of a new heaven and a new earth. And then it will be finished. No more pain. No more death. No more sorrow. Satan and sin will be defeated And believers who have persevered until the end will be gathered in the worship and the delight of Christ and his gifts for all eternity. So for us, I think there's two things that are important as we close. Two things I think we need to consider about this text. So as we consider the person person and work of Jesus to us, Jesus Christ present and active at creation, reigning and ruling as God, comes to earth, born of a virgin, becomes God in flesh, lives among us, lives a perfect sinless life that we couldn't live, and then dies a death that we deserved in order to be made right and reconciled back to God and to be adopted as a part of the family of God, to follow and to worship him for all eternity. And the invitation is for you to believe that that's true, even for you. To love and follow Jesus is a privilege and a delight, not a duty and an obligation. We can be freed from and we can be forgiven of sin. And in doing so, we get the benefits of Jesus. When we suffer for the sake of following Jesus, he is present with us because he is indwelling all believers through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And in love, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. So now consider the words of Jesus in this text. Jesus says, stand firm, be on guard. And in order to do so, We must be committed to him. We must be committed to him through reading the word and in prayer and allowing him to grow us in holiness and allowing him to grow us in godliness and allowing him to impact our affections and our desires for him and the things of him. We're able to stand firm in Christ when we are resting in the promises of Christ to us. When we are devoted to him, he equips us and enables us to be dependent on him. Him. And the second thing we need this morning is this. We need to be reminded of the gospel and the necessity of mission. Christ is coming back. And during this day that we read about today, it will be too late for people to repent at the sight of Jesus. On that day when Jesus returns, he separates his from not his. And for those of us in Christ, we're secure. We are secure because of our salvation purchased by his purchased for us, our salvation purchased for us by the blood of Christ. Man, but for those that don't know him, this desolation is more than just imagery. This is a reality in which they are headed. Destined to experience pain and suffering for eternity. Apart from the presence of Jesus. Believers, we need to be reminded of that often. Daily. 
that we have work to do, that there is mission in this community. Man, the desire of the Father is that no one would perish apart from him. And yet there is still an ever-present reality that the vehicle that God uses to reach people is the church. So what we must be training ourselves and being equipped for every good work in Christ. To live lives in accordance with the calling that God has placed on our lives to live. To look at the crucified and risen Savior and receive forgiveness and acceptance by him through faith that he has in fact defeated sin and death on our behalf and then go to our neighbors, go to our nations, go to the next generation with the gospel of Jesus. Man, I pray that that truth motivates you. I pray that it motivates your affections for Jesus and stirs your motivations to go and to love others in the way that Christ has loved you. Man, if you're not a believer, my hope for you this morning is that this knowledge that Jesus will return will bring you to faith in him. That you would stop trying to fill yourselves up with the things that are not of him. The things that will never truly satisfy you. And that you would receive his grace and his mercy to you this morning. All of you, church, repent and believe in the resurrected and returning King Jesus this morning. Let's pray.